Hamish. Uh, stay there, friends, in uh, Chapter 3 of Colossians. If we haven't met before, my name's Ben. I'm the Senior Minister here at All Saints. And uh, we're week three into a series called Heartbeat, the heartbeat of All Saints, uh, thinking about those values that uh, we want to have drive us as a church to move us forward in uh, mission and ministry together. <coughs> um, let's pray and uh, we're going to jump in and think about loving God's people. First two, loving Jesus, loving God's word. Week three, loving God's people. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you will fill us with the knowledge of your will through the wisdom and understanding that your spirit gives so that we may live lives that are worthy of you and please you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in our knowledge of you and being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience and giving you joyful thanks for you have qualified us to share in your inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, well, over the next few weeks, uh, our even more covered in the Rainbow and Pri Progress Pride flags as World Pride comes to Sydney. And uh, that's going to give us an opportunity to, to love and care for our neighbours, but also to think about what are the ultimate values under which we live our lives? Because that's what the Progress Pride flag is all about. It's about identity and values, how you want to define yourself, uh, the values that you want to have as the banner of your life. Uh, as I sat under two absolutely gigantic pride flags on Tuesday afternoon at a City of Sydney rec centre, uh, I felt that at these few weeks, as we continue to see these flags all about in every cafe and shop and uh, place that we go, it's a good challenge, I think, to not only be praying for our community and those around us, but also to entity markers of something that's much bigger than just gender and sexuality. Uh, the Progress Pride flag is kind of the, the tangible, visible uh, reflection of what the philosophers taught and caught in our current culture that says something like our identity and our meaning is something that we need to create from within ourselves. That we need to somehow locate and cultivate cultivate from within ourselves and our own desires an identity and a meaning for ourselves that we then give expression to in how we live our lives. That we create this identity and we define our reality in order that those things might be embraced and expressed in how we live our lives. And chief among those desires, our culture says that we need to locate and cultivate and express are our gender and sexuality, hence the flags, right? The Bible radically and graciously challenges and replaces that kind of thinking. 
To be a Christian means that we do not define reality for ourselves, we inhabit a reality that God has given us. It is found in Him, objectively, not inside us, subjectively. Uh, Colossians 1, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, all things were made by Jesus and for Jesus, ultimate reality in Jesus and God's creative purposes. Colossians God's redemptive purposes, that is ultimate meaning. So God's creative and redemptive purposes give us ultimate reality and ultimate meaning centred in the person of Jesus and we are meant to receive that, to inhabit that reality and to receive that gift of our identity and our meaning, to enjoy and to express as it comes from the loving and gracious hands of God. That is just a challenge. The fact that ultimate reality is not something that we need to define and create but receive and inhabit is very, very, very good news. It's not just challenge, it's good news to be received. Think about it for a second. If we are the ones that need to define ultimate reality, that we need to somehow create and identify and cultivate our own identity and me. It's, is it any wonder that our culture, our community, that the people around us are so crushed by feelings of disappointment, by the anxiety that comes from feeling like you can't live up to it, from the fears and failures of not being able to to actually define your own reality, let alone the reality of the people and the world in which you inhabit. Because it seeks to elevate us and to give us the job that only God can have and only God can do. That this all-powerful, all-loving, all-sovereign God of the universe, that He defines reality and gives it to us to inhabit and He defines our identity and our meeting and gives it to us to receive and to enjoy, well, that is liberating for anyone who will come and trust the Lord Jesus. But it is good news of freedom to say, you don't need to be God. He's got that job covered. How about you come and trust him? I saw it this week, uh, talking to a youngish Inner West couple who own Inner West property, tick, who have a very happy relationship, tick, who have very stable and meaningful jobs, living the dream. They are absolutely exhausted from feeling like they need to locate and cultivate their own identity and meaning and like they can't live up to their own expectations, let alone the expectations of those around them and they are desperately anxious despite all those things 
they are desperately anxious that they are somehow missing out. So maybe they need to buy a van. Yeah, you know where that's going, right? And fit it out and sell their property and just drive around. Maybe then they'll discover ultimate reality. They will be desperately anxious and thoroughly exhausted because ultimate and meaningful identity is not something that you can purchase or create or achieve or somehow cultivate from the desires of your heart. Let's be honest, lots of which are pretty rubbish desires. that actually rest and oxygen and life and freedom and a secure hope for the future isn't purchased, created or achieved, but is something that's defined and created by God and given from His most loving hands to be received by anyone who would trust in his son, the Lord Jesus. We've seen this amazing reality in the first chunk of Colossians, that in Jesus we have everything, that in Jesus God is giving fullness of life because he is the fullness of God. And that it's in Jesus, in his creative and redemptive purposes, that fullness and freedom, life and hope are to be found. And so when we get to chapter 3 and we think about loving God's people and the shape of our lives, and we get to things like commands, do this, don't do that, don't get confused to think, oh, now here we come to the bit where we need to achieve. Here's the bit where we need to earn. Here's the bit where we need to create our own identity. Don't get confused by that, which is easy to do because you've been taught and you've caught the expressive individualism that says that's what we need to do to create and to cultivate our own meaning and identity. No, by the time we get to chapter 3 and there's all kinds of commands, do this, don't do that. It is building on the reality and the identity that we've already seen that we have in the Lord Jesus if we're trusting in Him. And so when we get to chapter 3, it is, here is your identity, go live that out, knowing there's nothing more for you to achieve or to create or to cultivate from within yourself but you get to live out and enjoy what Jesus has achieved for you. And so here's what I want, again, sorry, that's a long introduction. Uh, so here's what we want to see from chapter 3 tonight about our identity in order that we might love one another as God's people here as a church. We'll see how we receive our identity, express our identity and mature our identity. That's what we're going to get after together. Levi, can you go get me some water? Thanks. Um, all right.
Paul starts not with what we need to do, but who we are in Jesus. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 1, receiving our identity. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now, that might be a big shock to you if you're a Christian, when Paul says, guess what? You died. And the way that he is speaking is that in Christ and what Jesus has done, your identity and reality has been so caught up with Jesus that when he died for sin on the cross, the Bible says if you've trusted in him, that is like you have died to sin on the cross. His death is for you. He died in your place. You are dead to sin and alive to God. And so if you have died to sin then you better be putting sin to death in your life. Since you have been raised with Christ, that is your location, that is your reality, raised with Christ into the heavenly places, then set your hearts and minds on those things. Your life is so wrapped up with who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, that's what, that what is true of him is true of you. He died to sin for you, so you've died to sin. He rose to give you eternal life, therefore you rose with him. Jesus is at God's right hand in heaven, and so set your mind and heart there, where Jesus is. Um, a lot of years ago, I went to America chasing a girl. Yeah, yeah, mission accomplished, <laughs> finished work and we're still in LA, a long way from home, right? But I've stepped onto Australian soil and I've stepped onto that flight and even though there's a long way to go, so confident was he that he would land me safe back in Sydney, welcome home. And all I had to do was sit back and enjoy the rest of the flight and he would do the rest. And it's like that with Jesus. If you've trusted in Jesus for eternal life, you have died to sin, you are living for Him and with Him, so sure is Paul that Jesus will bring you safely home to heaven to enjoy Him in His perfected future, he can say, you have risen with Christ. That is your reality. That what is true of Him is true of you. And so, if that is your reality, if that is your identity, then don't get stuck with your heart and your mind clinging to the things of this world that are perishing, but set your heart and mind on things above. That is where you are, where Christ is, where life and hope reside. Set your mind and heart on things above that is not about the architecture or geography of heaven. What is it that makes heaven heaven? It's the fact that that is the personal presence of God. That's where Jesus is. 
So when Paul says, set your heart and mind on heaven, it's not like, okay, um, I'm just going to think about clouds and harps and Philadelphia cream cheese, if you're old enough to remember that ad, right? That's not what it is. It's about set your heart and mind on Jesus, his person, his character, his love, his life, his words. That is what heaven is all about. If you think heaven is just going to be about you doing your hobbies uninterrupted forever, then you need to kind of get your act together because that's not heaven, right? Heaven is about Jesus, it's about his character, it's about his words, it's about being with him. So to set your heart and mind on things above is not some disembodied spirituality that removes you from this world, but is the mindset and the heart set that actually radically shapes your embodied life in this world. So, as you receive this identity, you then need to express that identity. It's not expressed by sitting in the corner, thinking heavenly thoughts that have nothing to do with life in this world. It's about setting your heart and mind on Jesus and allowing Him to radically change and live this embodied life while you wait for Him to return or to bring you home to heaven. It's one of the great things about the Christian life, that being heavenly minded is extraordinary practical in its application. So, how do we express that reality and that identity? Have a look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, you have died, you've died to sin, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, those things that are in opposition to Jesus and His kingdom, sexual immorality, impurity, lust and evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. All those things that seek to grasp at the things of this world and to put the the things of this world in the place of God. Greed, putting money and possessions in the place of God. That's what life is all about, accumulating and purchasing as much as I can. Sexual immorality, putting sex in the place of God, as the the most important thing in this world, the flag under which you want to live your life, in opposition to Jesus and His ways. Paul says, you used to walk in those ways, but now you must get rid of them, cut them off, take them off, get rid of them, die to them, put them to death. These things that do not belong to the life that is uh, to be expressed, the life that is given to you in Jesus. Rather, take it off and live out the new identity and the new reality that Jesus has given you by His death and resurrection. I have this very vivid memory of me being maybe 16, and my dad picked me and some friends up from a party and we we're in the car and uh, I was an idiot. And I was an idiot in, you know, and my dad driving the car didn't miss a beat, cool as a cucumber, didn't yell or anything, he just said, 
we don't talk like that. It would have been dumb of me to go, well, Dad, I just list out these things, put them to death, get rid of them. He's not saying that it is impossible for a Christian to sin. Guess what? We will all struggle with sin until Jesus lands us safely home. But the ongoing reality for the Christian is that we're putting those things off knowing these things are not appropriate. This thing, that, that does not define me. That does not fit with the identity and the reality that Jesus has given me by his death and resurrection. Get rid of these things in order that you might express the character of Jesus as the new creation that God is making you, his son, Jesus. And so your life is meant to reflect that perfect future that he is taking you to enjoy. Because it's already begun, Jesus rose from the dead and you have been raised with Christ, that future has already begun, and so start living like you've, you're enjoying that future. Start living like that is your identity, like that is your reality. I was saying this morning, I don't know how else to put it, the word that... Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, right? Get rid, take off, he's already done that. Doesn't leave you standing there naked, he says, put on. Right? Clothe yourselves with these things, look like this, live like this. Because you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's your identity, that's your reality. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. forgiveness that compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience demand the forgiveness that brought you to Jesus in the first place and enable you to begin the new life that he gives you it's the compassion that sees people as valuable and enables your heart to go out to them in their circumstances with love and kindness. It's the humility that looks like Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Jesus humbled himself to share our life and to die our death. What is it that we're called to put on? It's the very character of Jesus. So that as we love one another and people walk through the door and see this outpost of heaven and the backwash of heaven, they get to experience Jesus' compassion in the compassion of his people. And Jesus' kindness in the kindness of his people. And Jesus' humility as his people serve one another. 
and don't grasp at power and privilege up for the sake of others who show the kind of gentleness that Jesus has. Jesus, the one who, who will not break the bruised reed, but he will care for it and nurture it back to life. The smouldering wick that's just a little bit of smoke and is about to be snuffed out. Jesus won't snuff it out. He will fan it back into flame. It will be like Jesus' people seeking to build each other up, using their relative power and strength not to crush one another, not to use one another, but to build one another up and to love one another deeply and from the heart. God's people, His body, the church, get to be a little outpost of heaven, showing the world that is being crushed with fear and anxiety, showing the world that is desperately anxious trying to achieve and to cultivate meaning, reality and identity, to show the world and challenge the world, look at the freedom, look at the life, look at the love of Jesus who loves you, who made you, who died for you and who desperately wants you to enjoy the perfection of his eternal kingdom. So come to him, trust in him, let go of whatever it is that you're seeking to cultivate from within yourself and the identity that you're seeking to create and achieve and build from your own desires, let go and find your rest and your contentment and your hope in Him and come and join us as we enjoy that together. As we try truly one another and to set our hearts and minds on Him Jesus our Saviour. Let's pray and ask him to do it for us. Our Father, we pray that you would enable the peace of Christ in our hearts and the message of Christ to dwell amongst us richly that we might be a church full of people who love Jesus and who love your word and who love one another deeply from the heart as the gospel of your son has its gracious and glorious way with our lives. Set us free, we pray, from all our fears and failures, from all our anxious grasping, and all our exhausted work died to give us. Do this, we pray, for Jesus' sake, for our good, and for your glory.
Amen.